Would you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for a Sunday morning as your people, as your church, as your men and women trying to follow you. Lord, we pray that as we hear the words of your scriptures, you would open us up to receive them in new ways. Lord, this is a story of, of heaven came down that many of us have heard for most of our lives. But may we experience you this morning, even this morning, Lord, in new ways. In your great name we pray. Amen. Coming to our senses, week two, taste. The experience of taste. The Advent reading you just heard uh, is around this uh, title today, that you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Um, We were going to also toyed with the idea of calling the sermon, Jesus is like kale, Uh, but let's be honest, we didn't want to insult Jesus uh, because nothing is like kale. And so we instead pick this idea that you are what you eat, coming to our senses, week two, taste. And the Advent you just heard uh, is a, a sermon from John, the book of John, often called the bread of life sermon, the bread of life. Now the reality is that bread isn't life, not, not, not earthly bread. Uh, how do I know? Well, there was a season where I, I tried to try this out. We were in college. We had no money. And there was this, um, this low-fat phenomenon going on in the 90s. Anyone lived through the low-fat phenomenon of the 90s? And so uh, we were a bunch of football players. I was running track that spring. We had very, few mon- uh, very little money. Uh, but someone told us that eating bread was good for us. And so there was a Safeway a couple miles from the college that I attended, and so we would walk to Safeway, and, you know, we would get one of those just fresh-baked French breads and, you know, pay the 79 cents or whatever, and we would walk back. We would be walking back with these loaves of French bread, thinking how healthy we were being. We're like, man, we are just, this meal cost us less than a dollar, you know, let alone, like I said, we were working out and running track at the same time. Our body needed food. It needed sustenance. It needed protein. It needed a balanced diet. And here we are, these goofballs, walking around with just these, you know, big loaves of French bread, thinking, oh, bread is life. It it was the wrong advice. And we had the right hunger to try to, like, live healthy and eat right, but the hunger was placed in, in a misguided notion that some sort of fad that, you know, these fads come and go, I know it's kind of bacon, you know, we're kind of been convinced we eat a lot of bacon. And we, yeah, let's just eat regular food, just a healthy diet. But we're walking around with these loaves of French bread thinking that somehow our hunger was right. It was not. I don't know when we woke up to the fact that this was not a good idea, but it's just not a good idea. French bread will not fill you up, contrary to popular belief, right? So the idea is today, as we come around this sense of taste, we want, to be, we want to be hearing from the scriptures on what do we do with a hunger? And where do we get the, the real bread of life, the real food, the real sustenance that will kind of continue to feed us on our journey? And we're in the second week of our, of our Advent series. And for non-religious, Advent is it's just a, it's a religious term, meaning a time of preparation. that The church has historically named this as the first church you know, time of the year is a church calendar, time of Advent, that we would be preparing over these weeks for the arrival of Christ on Christmas. And it's no surprise, like we said last week, that in this time of waiting and watching and preparing are some of the busiest, most distracted, and for some of our community, loneliest times of the year. 
We're busy people, but we're people that want to experience Christ. And so today, as we talk about the sense of taste, we want to get some, some food to feed on. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 34a, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And it's not very challenging to apprehend. That seems kind of metaphorical. It seems kind of poetical. I can kind of get behind it. But when you, when you actually open John 6, and when you hear Jesus saying to his disciples, people that have been following him, he's just fed thousands of them. He's done in John 6, he's, he's fed 5,000. He's done a miracle. He took French bread, and he actually made it life for people. And, and, and now these disciples, he's growing in popularity. And they're saying, hey, this guy's up to something. I mean, I was hungry back there, and he gave me something. What's in this for me? And in John 6, in this bread of life discourse, Jesus says, that which you hunger for is more than just what fills your stomach. You will, you will hunger. If I feed you bread today, you'll be hungry tomorrow. Jesus says, there is a deeper hunger that I came to satisfy. And he says, so eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they thought he was crazy. He, they thought he was out of his mind. And yet the reality that Jesus wants to crash through our benign Christmas stories this morning is that he longs to give us real food. More than just the popularity of what people were kind of seeking him for, of the easy fix. And it's true, right? You talk to people. It's oftentimes that when we're hungry that people come to Christ. Like literally in his day, when they were hungry is when, it was when a crowd would form. And he starts to preach the truth of the gospel and the crowd disperses. And for us in our day, I mean, I'm looking for a job, I start to pray more. I'm looking for a spouse, I, I typically would pray more. I'm looking for, you know, more financial resources, and I pray more. Like, it's, it's oftentimes, it seems like it's our needs that allow us to kind of seek the bread. But Jesus longs to be more than that. He longs to be our constant source of provision. That when we need him, we're coming towards him. And when we're grateful for what he's doing in our life, we're coming towards him. He says, I am the bread of real life. We're going to get into that here in, in a moment as we unpack John 6. And so our big idea this morning is that it's actually understanding our hunger and understanding some of the things that my hunger is, is, is arising from. It's, it, it's, it's my awareness of my own brokenness that creates a hunger for more transformation. We're hungry people. And we don't need to, to say your hunger is bad, your hunger for intimacy is bad, your, your hunger for employment is bad. No, it's not the hunger that often we need that, that is bad. No, it, it's the way that we pursue the hunger. And so it's as we're aware of our own brokenness that we create more hunger for Christ himself. And so there's these three steps we're going to take to taste and see that Christ is our good news. We're going to diet from the food of individualism, this is here in your, in your outline, hopefully in front of you. Step two, we're going to feast on the presence of Christ. And, and three, we're going to allow spiritual hunger to increase our appetite for Christ. And we're going to be unpacking John 6 this morning exegetically. I hope you brought your Bible with us. And so let's begin our teaching on taste and what we can stand to eat less of. And that's often our own fulfillment for the sake of just ourselves. We need a diet, the first step, a diet from the, from the food of individualism. 
And, and I begin in verse 25 through 34, and I'll be, we have it behind us, and you have a Bible in front of you, hopefully. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on our welcome stations. We, we want to be people of the Word, and so we're, we're constantly looking for food here. We don't just want the words, we want food. Jesus, come alive in my Bible reading. And so I'm going to be kind of moving and popping around in these first verses here of John 6, verse 25 through 34. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is after he's fed 5,000, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? He's, he's a big deal. He's, he's trending on Twitter. He's, he's, he's growing a fan base. I mean, he is, you know, like people are like, hey, man, he's the guy. He, he fed us there. He'll feed us again. Like, let's, let's bring our needs to him. And Jesus answered because he's pulling away from them a bit. In verse 26, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I perform, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the God our Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? These are disciples. These are followers. These are people at some level. They're not the original 12, but they're people that are showing up now. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 29, Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And they asked him, what sign then? Will you give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. They're talking about the Exodus journey. In verse 32, Jesus said, For truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, verse 34, they said, Always give us this bread. Always give it to us. You, you kinda, if, I don't know, I'm reading from the NIV because there's an inclusive nature that I like here, but no matter what your version is, there's a little bit of a demanding pretense from those following. Yeah, if you got what we need, then give us that. You, if you have a sign, then, then we'll take that. If you've got just bread, we'll take that. Yeah, they say to Jesus, then give us this bread. Give us the thing that we need to give our, our instant gratification, Jesus, if you, can kind of, if you can kind of help me in this season, if you can kind of give me the thing I need to get to my next level, that'd be super helpful. And we start to teach, we start to reach out to Christ like a Tony Robbins figure or Stephen Covey or some sort of guru that's just got this little kernel of something that might lead me to the next benchmark of my own success. And Jesus is going to break down this pretense throughout John 6, Bread of Life. He says, you don't need more of me to become yourself. You need less of yourself to become more like me. And so, yeah, back there I fed you because there were some people that needed bread, but I want to do more than just meet your physical needs. I, I, I want you to actually know me and worship me. And friends, we're, we're, we're dealing with a bit of an epidemic in this day and age because for many of us, for myself included, we pursue relationships, not for what we might offer others, but for what it can do to serve me. We pursue jobs until they're no longer gratifying for me, and then we pursue other jobs. We pursue um, churches in the same way. Well, I, I, I like the, the, the worship at this church for a season, but this church isn't doing anything to, to serve me anymore. And so we're constantly, every three to five years, we're looking for a different home base in which to, in which to orientate our faith. And I just, I mean, I'll, I'll get this over with early in case you're kind of new here. Like, this is not a perfect church. 
And people say, man, I'm here for, for, for right now. And that's, okay, then be here right now. But know that in time, you need not wander because every faith community you encounter will have rough edges and broken parts. You say, but I like what you have to say, Scott. And I say, well, then stick around a while because I'm going to say something at some point that, that isn't what you want to hear. I mean, I, I, I sat with some people a while back, and they said, you know, we love everything about this church, except for you. <laughs> I said, okay, fair enough. Here's the thing, friends. Our churches will fail us if we're pursuing them for what they can give us. Because many people aren't tiring of Christ, the tiring of the church and so it starts this pursuit where they just think, you know, I just, I don't need others. I'll just, I'll do it my way. And I see Jesus on a sunrise and I'll, I'll go skiing and I'll have that freedom. And it's an early Hawks game or whatever. And I don't mean to be preaching to the choir because some of you are here and some of you are listening later. But I, I do worry that the way that we approach community is very consumeristic. We took this survey recently, and 71% of people say they're not in any kind of smaller community because of time. And then in that same survey, people said time is a barrier to their own intimacy over 33 times. And so there's this spiritual disease that's kind of beset us in America, and us in the West, and us in Seattle, and us in North King County, and us at Bethany North, that we pursue faith communities for what they can do to fulfill us. Christ is saying to these hungry people in front of them, you will find home as you pursue whole bread of intimacy with Christ. And maybe you exist not just for what you can receive from others, but what Christ can do to allow you to be a source of good news in, 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 in your community, in, in your group, in your neighborhood, in your place that you're serving. This isn't a guilt trip, it's an opportunity. We are meant to be connected together. We are meant to be connected together. And Jesus, the high prophet, he's, he's saying to us here, you have everything at your fingertips and still you dabble in complacency. He's saying to these people, like, I am, I am the bread of life right before you and I fed you there and you're coming to me now and you're missing my very presence. You have everything you need and still you want more. And yesterday I was, I was driving to my son's soccer game and... Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those mornings, getting out of the house, and, you know, it's, there's some yelling, there's some rushing, there's some arguments, there's, you know, this, and I, I had the good fortune, because I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty human. I get pretty uptight, I get pretty wound up, I, I don't stop and say, hey, you know, can we just taste the Lord for a moment? I'm like, no, there's a soccer game, get into the frigging car, you know, and I'm screaming, and you know, and, and we drive up to Shoreline AB and we pass the big cemetery and I left. And I, I had the good fortune to actually look to my left and be like, man, we have everything we need to enjoy this moment. We have the breath in our lungs and people that we love. Yeah, we're yelling at them, but they're in our own car. <laughs> and we can miss it. And you talk to anyone in the room, and there's some of us right now that are nursing huge wounds, and they said, man, I would do anything to just take more advantage of the things that God had put in my life now. Taste and see. We're not meant 
to constantly be waiting for other people to fulfill us. If you're lonely in your marriage, maybe God is saying to you this morning, what can you do to serve her or him? If you're lonely in your, in your living situation, maybe God wants to remind you this morning, it's not just about you. How might you be a blessing so that others can experience me, says God, this season? We're not meant to live alone. And there's this story, you hang around enough, I'm a big fan of narrative nonfiction and these adventure stories. And great story, many of us have seen the movie, fewer have read the book called Into the Wild, telling the story of Chris McCandless. John Krakauer did a great book on it, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and now his sister's released her own memoir. Chris McCandless was this young man who, who was nursing wounds from his family, very real wounds. That's the, the newest twist of the story. He had this hunger for a different kind of life. And the hunger isn't bad, but how he pursued the hunger, he headed west. He burned his money, he abandoned his car, he, he took on a fictionalized name, and he ended up in Alaska, because he thought, if I can just get to Alaska with a rifle and a bag of rice, I'll, I'll, I'll live off the land. I have some good books, including the Bible, I've got some Russian literature, and I'll have everything I need. He's feeding on the wrong thing. And he's literally, he, he picks some plants and some things and they start to germinate inside his bus and he gets very gravely ill. And the river he had forded to get to this abandoned bus four days in the Alaskan wilderness, he, he goes to hike out and now the river's too high and he's stuck. And he dies there in a bus in Alaska. In the movie, they sensationalize that his death is some sort of arrival. Emil Hirsch standing on this bus of like the glory he had attained. In actuality, in the book, he says, I've, I've missed something. He's alone. We're not meant to live alone. Then you know that I took my own bus trip around America. I spent six months in a van down by the river driving around the country. And, you know, uh, I get to the eastern coast. And it's Providence, New Island. And it's near the holiday time. And I'm out there trying to experience America, and I start dating this girl who's now my wife, and I've left my friends, left my family, I'm out, I've got everything I need, and it's, it's a holiday time, and I walk past this restaurant, and it's Providence, it's a beautiful town. And, and there's this, this, you know, the scene, I, I, I walk to this like plate glass window, and there's these, these people all in this restaurant, and then there's this, this table full of friends. I don't know these people, I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm standing out in the cold, and they're having this wonderful dinner party. And I'm like, huh, maybe it's time to start heading home. Because all of life is lived on this continuum between freedom and intimacy. And for some of us that are pursuing freedom in our isolation, and we, we can get out here, and we're not meant to live all alone. We're meant to live in community, and we're meant to live pursuing the right food for our hunger Chris McCandless was hungry for, for a healthier family unit and, and for Jesus and a deeper relationship and a, and a faith community, and he, he did not find it. We need a diet from this, from this food of individualism that just is lying to us in American mindset. And we, we, actually, we actually need each other. And it leads us into our second point of our outline. We actually, as we're trying to taste fulfillment in Christ, we actually... We actually need more of Jesus in our life. It's the second piece that Jesus continues his bread of life. He says, you're, you're seeking the wrong things. It's not your hunger that's bad, but it's your pursuit of your individualized success. No, step two of this 
kind of learning how to taste Christ, is we need to feast on the presence of Christ. And Jesus continues here in this Bread of Life narrative, starting in verse 43, going to 59. Stop grumbling among yourself, Jesus answered. You see, grumbling was the same, same word that people were doing in, in the Exodus journey, when they were grumbling because it was the wrong kind of food uh, that, that Moses was helping God provide to his people. It was the same sort of grumbling. And we have hearts that grumble, right? And we're, we're grumblers. That's me, Saturday morning. I'm driving to the soccer field. I'm grumbling, but with more yelling and anger involved, right? Like, we grumble a lot. Jesus says, stop grumbling. No one can come to me unless the Father sent me, draws them, and I'll raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Again, he's alluding to the Exodus journey. He's talking to Jewish people saying, we've, we've been through this before and God always provides but God provided bread for them, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. Who can this man, or how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We're meant to actually taste Christ. We're actually meant to experience him in the everyday, in the simplicity of even what we eat. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I am them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And that setting there is pretty interesting because it seems like there's a narrative shift in the text that Jesus is probably speaking outside and sometime he starts speaking inside the synagogue. He's now saying, for those of you that are really listening, I'm going to say some hard things. He, 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 you know, in the marketplace, what did we talk about last week? Last week, a man was just carried and laid at the foot of the cross. And when Jesus just sees the faith of his friends, he's like, you're healed, you're good. I mean, people at the margins, Jesus says, my barrier to entry is quite low. I want you just to experience me. Do not put stumbling blocks that keep people from knowing Jesus. Jesus is always trying to make himself accessible. Uh, one of my great friends and Bible teachers, Whitworth, Dale Bruner, says this. He says, this is not meant to make Jesus more difficult. This text is meant to make Jesus more accessible. Jesus says, in the, in the everyday indwelling spirit of Christ, you can experience me in, in something as simple as what you taste. Experience me, says Christ. And then he moves into the synagogue. And he says, for those of you really following me, I want you to know that the experience of me really counts. And he starts to say these really hard words. You're looking for this bread of earth. And he uses the Greek here, the Aramaic translated Greek of bios, something that, that won't last. But Jesus says, my life is eternal. Your flesh will profit you nothing this is this radical identification we get as a Jesus follower, that it's my flesh, my flesh, my trying, my efforts, my hungers will not profit me. 
the intimacy that I long for. Jesus said, it's not about you. It's as you identify with the life of me in you that you'll have life. And this is what's called appropriation. And so appropriation, when we take communion at Bethany, we, we celebrate appropriation, that this table is open for anyone that wants to follow Jesus for appropriation. Come and appropriate the taste of Jesus. And in, in, the, bl- in the blood and, and, the fl- and the flesh, we're saying we want you to actually live in us, Christ. And it sounds good, right? Like, sure, I'm in. Sounds a little weird, let's be honest, but yeah, I think I'm in. I, th- I think so. It gets very, very difficult when we're hungry. When we're hungry for, for a different, yeah, job, marriage, uh, marital status, uh, kid status, you know, any kind of status. When we're hungry and we're so aware of the hunger pains, it's hard to appropriate the life of Christ. And so often our unhealthy practices, not because the hunger for intimacy is bad, it's, the, it's how we're pursuing it. And when we have things in our life like this, there's no life here in my anger, in my pornography, in, in my frustration with my children or my parents. Like, I don't want to be a Christian that's living my life in these unhealthy appetites. We've got to get back to our hunger. What are we hungry for? Well, I want this to be different. So I need more of Jesus to transform the hunger and his power living in me. It's very, very, very difficult. But it's this process of radical identification with Christ that is the discipleship journey. When I got a chance to practice that, I feel like all stinking week. I would, you know, kind of come to God with my complaints about the person that failed me, the situation I'm frustrated with, this, you know, kind of rugged individualism. Because I can preach a good sermon, but this gets very hard in the practical living out. And then I had to stop and think, what am I actually hungry for? Jesus, can you fill me up? Can you, can you transform this hurt, this longing, this loneliness, this deficiency? Jesus, I want you to be the very food that I feed on. Because Jesus longs for us to know salvation happens when we experience him over and over and over again. Dallas Willard in Divine Conspiracy has this beautiful kind of kind of reduction of of what C.S. Lewis says about our ten-man faith. And Willard summarizes Lewis's thought in such a way about, you know, being more than just ten men, that we want to taste the Lord and have our hearts transformed. And our faith is not just a matter of our hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side, says Lewis. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his Zoe life, into you. Beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. The part of you that does not like it is still tin. And so this is where our transformation begins. That instead of focusing on the bread, focusing on on that which I wish Jesus would give me to kind of satisfy this current longing, that we we would instead fix our eyes on Jesus as our food. And Jesus says here, I am the bread of life. And the word here used, the Aramaic translated in Greek, is zoe. I am really life. I am more than just the bread. I'm more than the job. 
I'm more than a good week in your relationship. I'm more than a good session with your marriage counselor. I'm more than a good date. I'm more than a good Instagram post. She says, I'm the very bread of life. Experience me and, and take me in. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because we are what we eat. And we've been pursuing unhealthy appetites. Our heart starts to get corroded over. And and we start to just feel shame and guilt. And and we're convinced that our hungers are are representative of some sort of brokenness in us. And Jesus wants to redeem us from us that this morning. Satan wants to look at us and say, look at that sin. And Jesus is always looking at us and saying, look at my son. Look at my daughter. It's been a rough Weak, maybe, but get back, says Jesus, to tasting me. Okay, it's been this season where you've been pursuing some unhealthy appetites. Get back. I want to feed you. I want to be your bread. Get back and know that we will only feast on the presence of Christ. It's where our fulfillment comes from. Outside of that, we're just a bunch of goofy kids walking around with French bread, think we're eating healthy. Now, the real food is Christ himself. And that takes us to our third point of our outline, that in this way, we can start to see our own hunger as a way to increase our appetite for Christ himself. This becomes the spiritual journey as we we start to analyze and examine that which we're hungry for, instead of leading towards bitterness or unhealthy appetites, we could say, Jesus, this, may this hunger, may this appetite, may this thing that I'm longing for, may this lead towards my own transformation. May it lead towards Jesus more of you and less of myself. John 6, 60 through 69 says this. Jesus just has given this hard teaching. Remember, he's, he's fed them. And then he challenged them on kind of their diet of individualism. And now he's saying, you know, I'm the Zoe. I'm the real life. And then what happens is he, he moves into the synagogue and he's teaching the, the disciples. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples. So this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus says this to his closest friends. I mean, just, we need to pause because the, 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 the drama here in these words is just, I mean, it's heavy. There's thousands, and there's this mass following him, and they're convinced that he can kind of fulfill whatever needs they have, and then his words get harder, and the crowd gets smaller, and then many disciples, those who have been following him for some time, turn and leave, and then Jesus says this in verse 67 to his friends. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal Zoe, life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so friends, I want to ask you this morning as we we talk about this, like very practically in your own life, what, what do you hunger for this season? Like what do you hunger for? When you think about your life, like, okay, you can hear, you know, someone else talk about faith, but what, what's in your heart this morning? What do you hunger for? Is it, 
more intimacy? Is it more fun? Is it more funds? Is it a different vocation? Is it a different status? Is it some sort of changing situation with children, whether you wish you had kids or the kids you had, you're ready for them to leave your home? Or, I mean, what do you, what do you hunger for? And encouragement today is that this hunger can actually increase our appetite for Christ. And last week we said we needed to see Jesus in the everyday. We preached on sight. And this morning we're saying we need to have an appetite for Jesus. Sounds good, Scott. Tell me more. How do we actually take those words and, and make them true? I've got two practical steps. Step one, know your hunger. And do not be afraid of the pain that exists for knowing your hunger you're exploring your need for Christ. You're exploring your need for Jesus. And we had this beautiful um, gathering Monday night. We had some of the Indy. And Indy, it stands for I'm Not Done Yet, uh, the over 55 group. And it kind of came to my attention, we just need to spend some time together. And so we had 12 RSVPs, and probably about 60 of them show up. And so I gave them a hard time that they need to learn how to RSVP for something. But we had this really blessed experience and you know what they were talking about? Because I said, I just want to hear from you. They were talking about hunger. Hey, we hunger for more community in our church. I was like, hey, that's a good idea. They're saying, hey, we, we hunger to have discussions like this. Hey, we hunger when we worship to talk about this. Our, our hungers aren't bad. No, in our hungers, we have an opportunity for more of Jesus. And so know your hunger. And know what it is that this season, that maybe, maybe it's just less busyness, okay? Understand, where's your frustration arising to? And what hunger are you trying to fill? And then this becomes an opportunity. Christ, know my hunger. I want to slow down this afternoon. Maybe it's just this afternoon. Or, or, or fill in the blank. This is your life. This is your journey. This has to matter to you. Know your hunger. And the second thing I want to just kind of give you as a practical step, how we allow hunger to increase appetite for Christ, is this, appropriate the power of Jesus Christ. Know that all else will leave us hungry but Jesus. And I know those sound like very pious and religious words. I've been eating on them all week, though. Because I get lonely, I get sad, I get frustrated. There are no quick fix in the journey towards Christ. But I, I know that I want Jesus to be making me more like him. And so I want to know my hunger, and then I want to turn towards Christ and say, Jesus, may I appropriate your life and mine. May, may I taste your experience in me. May, may you use even these rough edges and hungry parts to grow this man after your own heart. Where else would we go? And then Peter says in verse 68, 69, where else would we go? And the subtext there is Peter saying, if, if we could, we would. But Jesus, we've seen you. We know you're the real deal. And we know that you're the only food that really satisfies. You're the only one. You're the only real food that can sustain us. <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember, we talk about silly diet fads. There's this thing called the Atkins diet. And I will not humiliate you this morning and ask you for a show of hands, but um, I'm now in my 30s and wanting to get fit. So a buddy of mine, I... Uh, we challenged each other, Atkins diet. We actually read the book. There's, there was a book that went with the diet. Um, and in, the, uh, in, in that diet, which was a little bit of crazy town, it was like no sugars, no breads, no... I mean, I didn't read the whole book, so, you know, but... Um, I mean, it's deprivation. The, the hunger is bad. 
you know, don't eat any carbs, and don't eat carrots because the sugar's there, don't eat this. So I'm just like walking around like a shell. And, and one day I'm at work down, this is when I was working in the film industry down in Marina Del Rey. I walk into, I walk into the break room and they, the Trimark Pictures said, hey, Merry Christmas. We've bought hundreds of fresh bagels for you. Bagels. I mean, you could smell. They were like still practically cooking. They were so fresh, you know? And you tell somebody that hasn't had a carbohydrate in a month that there are piles of fresh bagels. I mean, I was just like salivating, salivating. Literally, I was hungry. I was hungry. A couple, couple months later, we're still laboring through this. And I call my buddy, he throws a Super Bowl party six weeks later. He throws a Super Bowl party. There's, there's donuts and there's pizza. I'm still hungry. And I call him after. I was like, man, that was a hard one, huh? Can you believe we kind of made it through that? He's like, I got to tell you something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah? What? What was it? He's like, yeah, well, during the game, I was in the kitchen just like triple stacking pizza, donuts. He's like, I was binge eating. He's like, this diet's not going to work. I was like, no, it's not. Because it wasn't actually giving us food that we can live off. It was just saying, try not to be hungry anymore. And so many of us in our Christian life, we try to be on the Atkins diet. We just want to try harder. We want to, you know, be less like that, do more of this, and do a little of this and try a little of this. And it's just, it's still all about us. And Jesus comes to us throughout Advent to just ask us this question around our hunger and then to remind us when you're hungry, friends, Jesus says, I am the very food that you long for. I am. I am the fulfillment. I am the friend to you in your lonely times. I am the morning sun on the darkest night of your soul. I am I am longing to be present to you. I am longing to be a friend to you. I am longing to fulfill you. Will you turn to me and and to hear me again, says Jesus, your Savior this morning. I am. If you're hungry this morning, Jesus, your Savior, wants to hear his words crashing through the busy season to remind you there is one food to fill you up. And that is, in a relationship, a growing dependency upon Jesus Christ himself. It is not your own strength or your own flesh that will get you to more intimacy with Christ. It is his presence alone. And may we be men and women knowing our hunger and appropriating the power of Christ in small, deliberate, active steps. Saying, Jesus, I want to taste and see that your goodness actually is for me. It's for me. I want to taste you, Lord. I want to experience you. And the king of heaven who came down, he says, I'm right here in your midst. Feed on me, for I long to fill you up. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you this morning for your encouragement, your, your word, your power. We pray as hungry men and women that we would uh, truly experience you and, and experience you in the each and the every day so that our lives would have a meaning beyond just that which we see with our eyes. Lord, we want to fill on the food from heaven. We want to fill ourselves, Lord, on real life in you. We pray this morning as hungry men and women that we would, um, even this morning, take a step, a step of obedience and a step of sanctification, a step of learning how to appropriate your life in the midst of ours. In your name we pray, amen.
when you came in this morning, uh, all of us got this little handout, Father God, I'm hungry for, and there's this dinner set before us, taste and see the Lord is good. And what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to close in song in just a moment, but uh, the band is just going to play a little bit of music for about 30 seconds. There are these sheets, if you happen to miss one, in the aisle between front and back. There's also pens. I asked this morning, I said, do people come with pens? And they say, not single guys, but everyone else should be covered. So if you're a single guy, I love you. Thank you for coming to church this morning. We have pens in the middle. Anyone else that forgot your pen? And as you turn towards this piece of paper... um, when you take a moment here, I'm going to give you instructions and then you can start. What are you really hungry for this morning? Is it time? Is it friendship? Is it vocational meaning? Is it better relationship? And then when you've kind of prayed over that, I want, you to, I want you to write it down because it's the tactile work of writing something down that I want you just to kind of leave that on this piece of paper. And then we'll have communion stations available in the wings and in the front. And when your heart is ready, this table is open. And we will bring these full plates of that which we hunger for. And we will leave them on the table where they belong with the other bread. And we will take the bread of life, anyone. And we will drink the very blood of Christ in a a work of appropriation. God, work through my hunger and I want to feed on you. On the last day of which he was alive, Jesus broke his bread. He gave it to his best friends. He said, this is my body, eat it. And he lifted the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. I've come for a new covenant, a new relationship. Drink from it, all of you, for forgiveness of sins. I'd like to invite our communion service to their stations. And I'm going to just pray over our elements. And then we'll have a moment of just some music as we kind of write. And we'll go into our final response songs. Father God, I pray for these men and women. Lord, I pray for their hearts. I pray for their stomachs. I pray for their hungers. I pray for the way in which, Lord, they, they desire you. These are good, good people, Lord. And I know that some of us have been struggling with un- unhealthy appetites. Lord, would you encourage us this morning that there's only one source of life. There's only one place where the zoe, the real life, exists, and that's in you. And so, Father, we want to lay these hungers on the paper. We want to lay the paper on these communion stations. We want this to be a step of obedience. Father, take that which we hunger for. And as we take communion, Lord, we want to have you crash through the the ritual of of this monthly act, and and we want to really taste you. We want your life in us, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. So take some time. We're recording what we're hungry for, and then when your heart is prepared, the communion table is open.